Hey, welcome to the Rich and Niche Audio Experience, a podcast about mastering the art and science of digital marketing and online brand building today. To remind people that everything is impermanent. And that is a, a framework that will help you act because you are impermanent. Your relationships are impermanent. With your host, Rich UX. Yo, 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 yo. Digital marketing philosophy, ideology, the future. Let's get into it. We're going to be talking with Patrick Donabedian, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, who's getting a little bit into digital marketing. We're going to hear from him today. I'm going to be answering his questions. He's going to be interviewing me about digital marketing. I think he's got some good questions about the future, getting into it some of the more philosophical aspects. So just waiting for him to jump in and we'll get started real quick here. Okay. All right. Well, I assume most people watching already know a fair bit about you, so I'm not going to ask too much autobiographical information. But I would like to ask what really interests you and gripped you when you were five years old? Or what did you want to be? What identity? You what know, I was making people laugh at a very early age. I liked entertaining. I liked cracking jokes. I remember having like an affinity to the Muppet Babies, the character, what was his name? Fought. He goes like waka, waka, waka or something like that. And I was like, I thought that was the funniest thing. And like, I like to repeat things that I thought was funny. I was always like cracking jokes. So I think I had the ability to kind of engage people and, you know, kind of attract their attention. So I guess that's somewhat similar I can't really remember too well at five, but definitely, you know, sports, competitive nature. You know, one thing though, I don't know if this was five, but I started reading pretty early and I was really into these book series called Encyclopedia Brown. Have you heard of it? No, I actually haven't. It's basically a series of this kid who's solving mysteries in his own life. And at the back of the book, there's the answer to the mystery of the story you just read. So I was like ripping through these books on my own at a young age, trying to solve these mysteries. So I love problem solving. And then I got into like, have you heard of Mind Trap? It's like these cards where there's like a little puzzle on it. On the back, there's the answer. It's like a board game almost. Mm. My teacher exposed me to that in grade one. And Mm. I like basically learned the answer to every card. Like I challenged myself to like, what is the answer to this puzzle? So I think that's what I was doing early on, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I asked because I, I've heard you give advice to early stage entrepreneurs who are looking for an idea or for a niche, for an identity. And, and you've, you've given the, it's kind of a, a nice little exercise to think about what you were doing when you were five. So my next question is, in the next five to 10 years, like what big project or anything do you see yourself being involved in? And does that at all tie back to those things you talked about at five years old, whether it's more on the comedic side or, you know, those books? Or, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I mentioned those, those examples because I feel like I am kind of doing them already. I feel like I am entertaining in a, in a different way. And I feel like I am solving the problems in a different way. But, you know, as far as your question, like what, it's hard to say five to 10 years because my prediction is that in like seven years, we would see a whole new set of platforms and a whole new ideology about what technology truly is today. I mean, I think we'll be much more AI and machine learning focused. So I don't even want to predict, but you know, I want to start a gaming team. I think I have what it takes to manage, promote and lead uh, a gaming team, not as a player, but as a manager and an owner. So I'd like Rich and Niche to eventually have like a League of Legends team or a StarCraft team or, you know, even, you know, a Fortnite team, whatever. I think whatever's relevant. I think that brands should stamp their names on the back of esports players. I think the attention they get is unreal, whether it's live or in VOD format. You know, that brand awareness is going to be widespread. I think investing in esports right now is probably one of the higher ROI things for the right brand. So mm-hmm. I'd like to get involved in esports more. So I think I've had to put that on the back burner simply because I think of it as a more competitive space. You need a lot more capital to play. So I haven't really ventured into it quite yet, but I see that that's probable. But, you know, I think I'll seize the opportunities at hand more in the short term rather than like 
I'm going to wait seven years to execute my idea because I just don't know what's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's very unpredictable more than ever. So with that idea of gaming in mind in the future and reflecting on your childhood, you're about to be a father. And, and I wonder what you think you, what's like one key thing you'd like to change in your son's or daughter's education, like elementary school education that, that you didn't get maybe, or that you'd like to take away from your childhood that would, that would set you up better for the future. I mean, I would swap every memorization activity for a building block activity. I would much rather people spend time building castles and understanding the brick by brick mentality than memorizing things that are no longer needed to be memorized. I think we just wasted a lot of our own education out of our own, like not knowing that one day we'd have access. I mean, I was just driving in the car earlier and my wife's like, what do you want to listen to? And I'm just like, um, Beach Boys, Kokomo. And she's like, bam, in like six seconds or something, she had it on. And just like, we didn't have that before where you could just call up any sort of information. I think we underestimate what that means. So yeah, I get rid of memorization. That's crazy these days. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, if, if is there a University of Vancouver? Does that exist? Oh, we have UBC. And then we have Simon Fraser University. So we have two major universities in British Columbia, and we have a lot of sort of colleges and technical colleges. Okay. So let's say, let's say Simon Fraser University offered you $100,000 or a million dollars, whatever number it would take to teach a, a freshman 101 business class. What would you title that class? That I'm teaching? That, that you would teach and you get to teach whatever you want. What, what would be the name of the class for freshmen? Either I would go crazy and teach like sexuality is creativity and I would like blow people's minds with like that linkage. I really believe there's a hidden linkage between uh, your sexual awareness and your creative centers. I'm not saying you have to be like super active. I'm just saying like having awareness in those second chakra areas of your body are very related. Mm. But probably more realistically, I would teach how to hack culture and I would teach sort of how to insert media strategically to change culture's perception of something. Because mm, any okay. viral video that gets viral is shifting perception. I mean, if your video only gets a thousand views, you're not really hacking culture. And I'm not necessarily trying to do that at all times, but I think it's interesting to realize that if you can figure out how to make viral videos, you can figure out how to shift culture. And so what we have to be aware of right now is when like these YouTubes and these Twitters, they take over the algorithm and they say what's trending and they say what's at the top. They are hacking culture and they have the most leverage and control. Doesn't mean the one the individual doesn't have the power, but we've got to understand who has the superpower right now. Like at the top of Twitter, it's like COVID news. Like that's a hack. That's not the real choice of people. So that's going to change perception, whatever that media is there. You know, when that's not there, it's much, much more of a wild, wild west. It's like whoever's putting out the most content, whoever gets the most shares, like that stuff's getting up to the top. And those people are also hacking culture. So I think that's something that's not talked about very much yet. So I'd probably go for that. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned the algorithms. Would you say that, because algorithms are pretty mysterious to everybody. And would you say that in the future, it'll be necessary to understand the, the exact mechanisms of those algorithms to kind of like understanding grammar um, yeah. is just yeah. in order to, so. yeah. yeah. I think that's a pretty easy yes. I mean, maybe AI gets smart enough that we don't need algorithms for some reason. Maybe everyone's mind can simply be read. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, but to say no would be very foolish. I mean, I think yes, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, it's a way of communicating. So probably. Okay. More on the technical side and getting back to education, you use Miro as like somewhat of a textbook and whiteboard for a lot of your students. Mm. And I want to know what aspect of user experience is such an upgrade to the textbook? Like what about it really you think does the trick? Well, I think professors by nature prefer the chalkboard and the whiteboard. I think we see that a lot. I think whether it's the overhead projector you know, they enjoy having that tangible nature. So I think that is already a natural fit. But if you just look at it on the face of it, you know, textbooks are limited in size because they're layered information on top of each other via page. 
we don't need to worry about size in the digital space. So let's try to break down that constraint and see like, was the page useful? And it really isn't because therefore you only have one other page to have context with versus the whole picture. Mm. I think what I'm a master at is understanding where micro fits in the macro and understanding the big machine, but yet why is that cog there exactly? And if it's missing, that affects the machine. So, you know, I think like macro micro reference points and field of reference and focusability on subject matter, not where it's positioned by nature in a textbook. Like in mm. my textbook, what you'll notice is relevant sections are near each other on the board, but that the board still has hierarchy, pathway, and structure. That is cool. Yeah, that's been my favorite part about it too. It's it it brings that holistic understanding to like it's con- it's like a concrete holistic. Because a lot of when people talk about holistic, it's kind of woo woo, and you either have it or you don't kind of. And this is something that I think really allows you to have that holistic understanding of concepts. And for people that are listening, it's we're talking about the Miro app. If you want to check it out, infinite whiteboarding. So you can just expand, expand, expand. You can keep adding new like icons, text boxes, pictures, Mm -hmm. definitely game changing. I mean, when I know my mind works better with it, I can only assume many of my students would prefer the same. I think Mm -hmm. what it's interesting is like, if you're having success in your life, I think it becomes very easy to tell people what to do. You have to prove it for your own self that it works. And then it's easy to pass it on because it's like, well, take it if you want it. When you don't actually know if something works or you're not putting into practice what you say, there's a big disconnect forming there. So I think like just, I know it works to think and learn like this. I guess some others use other ways, but that's why I mix it up. I also give you the PDFs. I also give you the videos. Like you don't have to even use the textbook in my courses to get the full value. It's there for reference. But some people, that would be the whole thing. The fact that they can reference whatever they need. Maybe they're not in a step-by-step process issue. They're more in a where does everything fit together situation. And so that could be really helpful to them. Yeah, it felt like it feels like such a relief to not open PDFs and not have like separate files. Right. It's, that yeah, wasn't it's, the best experience, was it? Yeah, yeah, I completely. Right? Yeah, I feel so that. you know, even though my Miro textbook isn't say as polished as like a McGraw science textbook or whatever, like mm-hmm. it's just as effective. It's still pretty good, and it may ultimately be more effective because of the layouts. So yeah. it's not always about like picture perfect. It's about function. I'm always about function, not like what it looks like. Yeah. So you've spoken about yourself being a member of Mensa and there's a lot of evidence that, you know, low measures of IQ and income inequality are highly correlated. It's kind of obvious why that would be. Is there a way that like digital entrepreneurship might open doors for those with like lower cognitive abilities because it's so arbitrarily distributed, like, you know, by the lottery of birth that, you know, is that, could that be an equalizer that the way that in this digital age, or is it going to get worse because it's more complex and more abstract in your opinion? That's definitely the most challenging question we've had thus far. High IQ is becoming underrated. I, I think, high EQ is overrated right now. So I'll say that to start. It's good to have a high IQ. I'm not so sure I agree. It's the lottery of birth. I think the brain needs to be developed thoughtfully. So you might have the lottery of who you were birthed by as well in there. I think we got to be honest. Like we don't want to trick people. We don't want them to think, Oh, my kid, he won't be smarter. If I do this, it's all lottery. We don't want people to think that I don't. Even mm-hmm. if that wasn't true, I'd rather parents like super focus on their kids' first five to seven years of their education. Mm-hmm. So there's that. You know, what I would say is that it should be easier because of the drag and drop ability of our work. It's so much more straightforward. I think the high IQ got by early on because they were able to do the duct taping or the connecting where others might not see how that works. They had the app and appetite to go discover the answer. I don't, I'm not such an expert on understanding that kind of 
sort of situation and our reality about IQ and income and such. I don't really know what's going on there. I mean, it's really hard to comment. Uh, but it also could be that we get sort of an elite group of digital ninjas who are simply 10% and above the rest. I could also see that happening too because there is a bit of a race going on. Like I encourage people to move faster. I talk about the race subtly as often as I can. I don't want to scare people, but I want them to know that first mover advantage is real. Getting ahead is real. Getting momentum is critical. And so maybe if you're on the lower side, like you're going to need to partner up with someone. Don't be too hum not humble enough that you need help. I mean, but to say, if it gets better, which I don't think I can say, I, mm -hmm. what do you think? I, I think it's real. I mean, IQ is something that's scientifically or at least social scientifically measured. EQ right. is made up. It's right. a, so I, I, I agree that it's a race. It's a measure of speed, cognitive speed and capacity and yeah everything is a race to get to, to from one point to the next and then there's a bunch of other points to get to and choices to make so i'm yeah i'm not optimistic because the digital world is more complex than the than what we think of as the physical world but i, I also see solutions because we're also more focused on reduction of suffering than we ever have in history so like we have the time to think about these things there's a bunch of questions and comments coming in about like IQ doesn't equal success. It's a Pandora's box. Can we <laughs> find success? I totally agree. I, I don't think we can figure this out. And, and I don't think about IQ. I don't think about EQ. I don't think about it like that. That's so, you know, on the outside of what really makes life tick. But I don't think that we should overlook the competitive nature of life. I mean, you can pretend like life is supposed to be about equality if you want, but that's like, you're just not looking at it, you know? And one of the books I read a long time ago, I think it was like, what was it called? It was like Nikolai, the Prince, the Prince. Is it Machiavelli? Machiavelli. It? Yeah. And in one of the opening chapters, it's like, the world isn't what it should be, you know? And I think that was a big realization for me, like, oh, why isn't, why are we in utopia? Like what's stopping us? Like what's preventing us? And he goes on to explain sort of how war is necessary and control is necessary and all these things. And then you kind of start to see it, you know? And to me, it's like, well, okay, I can't, I can't keep waiting for equality to come to me. I can't keep waiting for life to fix itself. It doesn't seem to be. And that's kind of the recapture of your responsibility to find that, I think. So, you know, that's an interesting area to talk about. IQ, EQ, it's so tough, right? I mean, it's hugely taboo. You can't say that. You can't say, you can't mention IQ without getting like really strong reactions. Right. And similarly, you can't, saying the word equality is probably one of the most popular words to say. And it's the most, probably the most meaningless word. Mm -hmm. All it means is there's zero differentiation. It's not interesting. But that monomania, we're attracted to oneness. It always, you know, puts asses in seats, so to speak. So that's the spice of life, things being different and, you know, people are different, but it does cause suffering and we do have to address these things. So, I mean, similar on that note, what's the strict definition of digital asset? Probably anything that lives online in a domain or an app that is able to return revenue without extensive time investments on a recurring basis. So it's similar to real estate, like someone's renting from you. The value of living in that space is turned into $1,500 a month in exchange of value for a digital asset. It might be a training. It might be uh, an experience. It might be music. It could be a game. It could be an app. Um, it could be an email list. It can be content. I think that digital asset is a much more flexible term. Mm -hmm. Because by nature, digital creates a variation. You know, we can't really get that many types of gold or houses, right? So mm -hmm. I think that it leaves a lot of room for interpretation too. Yeah. Well, is it the type of thing, is a digital asset, is it, can it be like real estate, stocks, bond securities, where non-business people, non-content creators just non-entrepreneurs can still participate in the way that they buy, 
you know, stocks and bonds for their retirement, things like that? Probably, probably. I mean, with blockchain, I would imagine that will become more available. I think we already see little signs of that over on sites like, what is that blockchain uh, social media site? If someone can remind me in the chat, I can't remember right now. Not DTube, but DTube was part of it. Anyways, you would basically get paid for creating content and you could also get paid for reading content and liking, sharing. That was very interesting. I mean, you can already invest in Facebook. You're technically investing in a digital asset. You're just purchasing a real asset in terms of a stock certificate. So I think there's crossover happening. But at the same time, I think a lot of the digital assets are sort of representative of the individuality that we're creating with the internet and much more peer-to-peer experience versus a banking system versus a conglomerate system, you know, where it's one to many, it's now one to one. It's peer-to-peer. It's, you know, blockchain is peer-to-peer essentially. And I think like in that there's something, but I want people to build digital assets and own them a hundred percent. I think that you don't really, it's, it's tough to give away a lot of a digital asset because so much of digital assets need to be bootstrapped and need to be built from the ground up that you're going to need your hundred percent sweat equity a lot of the time. And I think it's doable. I think if you get into a bigger concept that has scalability to worldwide application, I mean, beyond content, you know, you might need a developer, you might need a technical founder, you might need startup money. I mean, and then, you know, I'm just saying that I like people to own as much of themselves as possible. I don't like people being like, Hey, I'm just going to give this marketer like 40% of my money. But I also tell marketers don't take less than 40%. I mean, it's a hard thing because ownership is complicated when it comes to digital. I've, I've been in it. I've seen the relationships, how they become, and they're tricky. They're very tricky. And if the friendship matters, then, you know, you got to be careful because so many friends want to get involved in these ideas together. The last thing you want to do is work on a project with three friends. Trust me, that's not what you want to do. You want to be on your own terms, your lone wolf mentality. Like, I'm going to get this done. You cannot rely on others to do what you do. Not one person in my life could ever match my intensity for anything. When it, whether it's I like soccer and I want to be the best, I like StarCraft and I want to be the best, I like digital marketing. I want to be the best. I have yet to find people who crave success like I do. And it's like the success. It's why would I do this if I'm not trying to get good? Like people looked at me as a young person, like, why are you so competitive about a board game? It's like, why play if you aren't? I mean, there's other things to do. So I just like people to bear down, like put the hard work in and build some momentum for themselves. And I think that's an unlock. You're with four, three or four other people on a startup that makes no money and -and so-and-so is not working as hard as you to go get the leads. And then you're just like, fuck, I hate that guy. Like, he's so lazy. And it's like, he didn't know the expectations going in. So I hate startups. I mean, I hate them for groups. I think they're so difficult. Max two, max two. And I'd much rather it be one. But most times on your own, it is tough. So we got into a different topic there beyond digital assets and just like how to formulate and how to think about that. Let me tell you, it is tough stuff. If you can afford to pay someone else cash to do stuff or trade them something else, but not your equity. I mean, Mm -hmm. once it's gone, it's gone and it's, well, you can buy it back, but you just get into all this complicated stuff. It's not that fun. What's fun is building things quietly and on your own. And then boom, whoa, what happened to this guy? Like now he owns this website. I'm sure that's what people are saying about me that knew me 10, 15 years ago. They're like, the fuck is he, where did this come from? Like, I've been hiding for two years, you know, like I Mm. didn't go out. I mean, I don't think people know the sacrifices that are required ultimately in many cases. I mean, I want people to know that you should probably give up every single hobby to make it online and work 14 to 16 hours a day until you're done. I mean, there's only so much time, you know, and, and you don't need all those hobbies right now, because like I said, there is a bit of a competitive race going on in terms of attention, in terms of who gets to the ideas first. I mean, every single yoga teacher right now is kind of shitting their pants because like 50,000 yoga teachers just started online programs. And how do you stand out? Like, so that race is done already. And that race was actually over 10 years ago. So what's the race today? Wow, there's lots going on. You know, you want to go become a machine uh, learning writer, you'll crush. 
You want to go become an AI beat writer. Like you follow topics, you serve the public by curating and summarizing and delivering the best info. People follow that because they want to stay up to date, but they don't have the time. So there's some ideas for you. You got any bounce back on that? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that there's a high barrier to entry when it comes to skill, but at the same time, there's so much opportunity when it comes to starting up solo. It's very inexpensive. Do you see that financial? Well, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, this is just so important. The problem is all of our parents, they did not have this. So no one has instilled this in anyone. And I see Cynthia asking in the chat, how do you build that mindset, Rich? Like, how do you stay on top? People take action when they see opportunity and they can go do it. Lots of people know there's digital money out there right now, but they don't know how. I'm trying to fill that gap. Because it's not enough to show people the opportunity. You must also give them a pathway that they can bring it to real life. Otherwise, it's a waste. And they're not that interested. It's not a real bridge. It's not a real vehicle. So that's like problem number one is like, whenever there's an opportunity, great. But people don't care. And so I think we're just emerging where people like myself, there's some others out there, they're putting the pieces together for everyone because they've been in the trenches for 10 years. Because 20 years ago, this didn't exist. This is just happening now. So there's this transition of waking up. Like like just 10 years ago, 12, 14 years ago, like being a lawyer was still a great strategy. And I saw it as that. But in 2014, I did not feel that. I was at law school. I got everyone saying like no one's being able to get a job. I went job hunting myself. I was rejected every single time. <laughs> Fuck it. What? Like I would have killed if I had have been taken in those roles, I probably would become unstoppable. But that's how competitive it truly was. I didn't have the highest grades because remember, in law school, I was actually studying SEO and digital marketing on the side, I'm playing a hell of a lot of StarCraft too. But <laughs> you know, it's just a different time, guys. And I was lazy too. But when I really woke up to it, I started moving every day further and further. And at first. At first, one video a week feels like, wow, I can't believe I did that. That's great. And now I'm at the time where like two live streams a day, one video a day, one article a day, like it's not, it, it feels normalized as you build it up. And what other people are like, wow, you kind of make a lot of content. And I don't even think I make a lot of content. I make nothing compared to what I would dream of making and what others are doing. I mean, but that is, that is the move. Making the content is the move. It drives the attention, the eyeballs, and the connection right now. Like people, as this awakening happens, people are going to look to those who are one to two steps ahead. They don't look four steps ahead. That's too far. Now we're not we're disconnected. I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't be. I'm not going to be a Dan Pena. I'm not going to be a you know a Joe Rogan tomorrow. That's not going to happen. Like these people have gone through so many stages to get where they are. They put in so many of their own assets to level up and build their castle. Like I'm just breaking into that between 100, 200, $300,000 range. And so I know I'm talking to the people at the 40 and 50 mark. They're doing okay, but they want more like I did just where I was two, three years ago, like just kind of freelancing, like just kind of getting enough. And then I'm like, oh, it's, this is not the full picture, Right. And then the acceleration begins to happen because the awakening, the unveiling, the unraveling of your old education, it's all happening for people right, right now. And I think that like, once you see that opportunity, that not only it exists, but that you might actually be able to get it, like that is where the catalyst really happens. So if that's not happening for you, make sure you're looking for the imminent wave that's coming, not the one that's gone. Like what's gone already? Like you know, Amazon FBA, that's mostly gone. You know, even SEO as a, as a, as a, as a one service, it's kind of gone. You got to look beyond that. You got to see what's coming. It's like, oh, AI chatbots, AI audio experiences. Oh, machine learning podcast generation, like crazy stuff. You got to look in the future, be ready. And while you're waiting, I've been waiting for years, skills every day, new website, every, every quarter, you, you try making an app, you try and rank a blog, you get a book on Amazon. I've done all those because I want to know it so I can share it. But that I believe those are like the big deadlifts. Like put a booking on Amazon. I don't care if I don't get any sales. I know by going through that process, even the business lens of it, like 
what's the pricing? Like, what's the cover? Like, not just the writing, but the business. You're training. You're training to promote things. You're training to explode um, into the internet. And I'm not worried about it. I just think you keep chipping away. I, I know that was a long-winded answer, but I just think that you might know there's opportunity, but you don't know the way. And so you must seek a path. You got to look for someone who's where you're at. That's the key. And so I'm studying the people who I want to become next. The Gary V, like, you know, Dan Locke, like in my own way. I'm, I'm studying the model, not the content, right? You mm-hmm. model the greats. That's a great business tactic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and it sounds like everything you're saying kind of boils down to building muscle. Like, it, yeah. like it's like what, what used to be difficult about creating content is now is now easy for you, but you still know that there's, there's a, you know, a 500 pound deadlift ahead of you that you still can't do. And Matt, I just imagine, so we started out talking about developmental education with, with children and how, how much easier it is for them to learn things. Cause we're trying to learn this all as adults. And when it comes to, cause I know sports, you, an adult trying to learn a sport as a novice is like the best they're going to do is not look embarrassing when they do it. Maybe that's the best you can get. As and an adults, adult. you're saying, you're saying adults can't learn like martial arts. They can learn them, but when you compare them to, to kids who have been doing them since they were five or 10, there's no comparison. Sure. And, and I see that happening in jujitsu because jujitsu is so, you know, early stage still it's, it's became popular in like the, 2000 teens pretty much so now now we're or like the mid 2000s so we're seeing kids that are starting to become adults and the things they're doing compared to the people that we thought were great that started when they were like in their 20s it's no comparison so yeah in the digital age we're going to need to right right and we kind of saw that with all the major sports because like in the 70s it was like 35 year olds that ran leagues but then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden their kids got really good because then everyone's like oh did you see Larry Bird? You're starting now. Like, that's what happened, I think. Yeah. Right? And so my kid is going to be a fucking digital ninja. <laughs> right? Like, won't, yeah. like, the digital marketer at 12 will be a dangerous person. Because it's not about your face and your age. There's a bit more to it. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're so ahead like that and you're building those skills so early, I... Things like IQ won't matter so much if whether they are real or not. That's a separate debate. But, but yeah, that is an equalizer because a person that's familiar, their eyes have seen so many frames in this right. landscape or so right. many pixels. It just doesn't. They, they can process things quickly. You know? I've heard you talk a lot about how, as industries niche down, there's going to be a greater demand for like local goods and services, and or you, it's possible. Or t- tell me if you said something like that and. Uh, if so, have you have you thought about how this digital digital entrepreneurship and this 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 new kind of landscape will could enhance governance and democracy and, and things that are more on a societal scale? Yes, I mean, what's going to happen, and what I'm surprised isn't happening at this very second, is community pages finally forming. I think we have personal pages. We have business pages. Where are the true community local pages? I mean, they're kind of out there, but people don't know how to moderate them yet. People don't know how to manage it. There's no sort of ownership in this area. So once we get apps where it's like our town app and like, let's say there's an app, let's call it world app. Now I can put my pin down and wherever I live, I can certify it with the app. And then I get voting rights within my town, within my city, within my province, and within my country, and within the world. Wouldn't that be cool? So we get Mm. voting privileges based on our location. And doesn't mean our vote is going to shift necessarily anything, but we're one more vote. And then we could talk about things at micro or macro levels. Let's say the tap, like you have a question, should we open the economy? Let's ask it across the board. Now, if I vote yes, That means my vote triggers the town, the city, the world. And if someone votes no, but they're in a different town, they could affect my city level, but not my town per se. And so maybe we can give locality more of their own ownership and power because we know we have a system where everyone's voice can be heard. That's a ways away. But I can Mm -hmm. see that easily happening. And I'd be willing to think about developing something like that. 
I think it would be amazing to have, I mean, what you kind of have is Craigslist, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of has their own Craigslist and that's what I'm talking about, but much more of a voting social community oriented page that also had your local community board. You live in this area, you're allowed to put up a 50 by 50 pixel icon. You don't, it costs money and that money goes to our community. You know, there's a lot of wild ideas right there. Mm -hmm. So yes. Yeah. The government will be done in an app in 30 to 50 years. And also the president will be a famous YouTuber in less than than 16 years. And it already is. Donald Trump is a top Twitter influencer. And I don't care if you wait now or you look back even five, 10 years ago, he, he had a strong social game. He understood attention early on and that matters. Mm-hmm. And so I'm aiming to become my city's senator or whatever the hell we call it when I'm probably 52, 56. So that gives me, you know, 20 years to build my social credibility. Don't you want to do the same? Like, don't you want to have an impact? And if you've been able to lead a YouTube channel or a Twitter account or something authentic, people will give you more validation and trust. So this is the long game. Yeah, and I, th- I think what you're saying would also go a long way to transcend that the socialist-capitalist divide because this is more of like, it, it's on another dimension. It's local versus uh, global. And, you know, like kind of the American founding fathers originally had the idea of running experiments on a state level and seeing what works, what doesn't. And like, it would be great to run more experiments, more, more toward socialism, more toward ca- capitalism in certain lo- local areas. And, and those specific systems would serve certain areas, certain demographics better than others. And people being able to control their locale, but also not assert control over other people's locales would be... Right. And that's the thing, right? Because it's not easy to govern at the national level. No one said it was, but no one's also not saying it's just a completely foolish idea. Like there, there might be a thing where it's like, once you reach a hundred thousand people, like you actually need to claim a new sovereignty because you are no longer able to provide what the citizens want. I mean, we can ignore that as long as we want, but the fact is, is like immigration challenges, social policy, And when we get too wide and too broad, you can't make good choices. And I think that we got to look into that at some point. I mean, I'm not going to think about it. It's not for me at this time. But what are these gigantic countries with, you know, 500 million? How can one person or one group speak for them all? And what is the dangers? You know, if we want to go to a no gun world, then everyone's got to go there. We can't just leave it select. I mean, that's the really tricky part about it. But if we could, if we were able to move to a non-lethal weapon society, we could allow more separate sovereignty. I think people can govern far greater, but here's the reality. The average man is far too weak to lead at this point. And so we're going to get some harder times before we see anything like that. Mm. Okay. I am at my last question. Do you agree with that or you disagree with that? I 100% agree. I think the devil is in the details. It's so complicated to figure out uh, how to organize at multiple different levels of analysis. I think the idea that our leaders should build authority over time and, you know, because you said when you're 50 years old or 55 or 60, that's the amount of time it takes to accumulate knowledge and wisdom and knowing how to act and make decisions at different scales. Yeah, that's powerful. We as a culture, we as a society, we as a planet, most of us cannot spend any time thinking about actual problems. We, most of us are too busy paying the rent, paying the bills, helping our kids, helping our family. Like that immediate need is too great for people right now. So we lack the real power, problem solving power as a group. So we aren't spending any time talking about this not really that I see it. And I don't think there's any forums or platforms yet to really discuss a lot of the world's problems. Because like, even right now, I feel like speaking out loud about some of these issues, I've never heard anyone else say some of these things. And yet I see it as a clear problem. So what that tells me is like, we focus on the wrong problems half the time. And 
Mm-hmm. That's where that like social problem is invading that because you want to solve social issues, but they may not be solvable at a country size of 300 million plus. That might not be possible. And, and it's another one of those things that I've heard is like, everyone is talking about the government like it's a cup of coffee and we're discussing how much milk should be in there. But no one ever says, what about trying it black? Like, we are really anchored into one way of living right now. And that's got to really shift. But I believe that's happening right now. I believe remote capable work is the catalyst that will see great change in the world. Yeah. And COVID has definitely aided in that toward, yeah, more people being open to the digital. I saw a funny, I saw a funny meme, someone saying like before COVID parents, parents, and then son, like parents saying nothing. And then son saying, I'm, starting an online business. And then after it was like, <laughs> what, what about that online business stuff? That seems pretty legit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the last one, I'll, I'll end with a lightning rock question. Something that, something that's a, a little bit polarizing. How worried are you about collusion between big tech and the state? You know, like, especially around censorship. Is that a big concern to you? Do you think there's enough pieces in place like Reddit or other forms that will be a bulwark against censorship? What's a bulwark? A block. Uh, something that kind of mitigates or, or militates no, against... No, Reddit is a terrible example, unfortunately. Reddit is mm. highly censored. The whole system is designed to be sort of manipulated. You know, you just know as a regular user that some of these things, there's just no way that many people would vote it up to the top. It's, it's a very riggable platform. No, you know, unfortunately, I think we're long past censorship. I don't think we have any way currently easily to solve this yet blockchain seems to be the answer in some capacity i know there's people raising money right now for an anti-censorship platform yeah listen i've already been on the end of unfair censorship uh to a strong degree and i know the pain of that and i know what others have gone through i don't try and beat the censorship i try and craft a strategy that doesn't need to bother with it and i would recommend most people do the same the leverage we've given some of these platforms is far too great There is, these are private platforms, technically, they can do whatever they want. And just like a newspaper, somebody owns it, somebody's got the biggest share, you're never going to hear bad news about that somebody. And you have to understand, the Washington Post is owned by Amazon, and it goes on and on, like there is an owner behind every big media platform, and they have their own agendas. And if you're not on their agenda, your content ain't going anywhere. A lot of people have been censored. I mean, if you haven't been censored, you probably are actually not aware of how deep it really goes. I mean, some amazing YouTube channels have been removed. I had a channel uh, with my wife. We had 60,000 subscribers. We put out a documentary criticizing a country to a very small degree, but it was more funny. It was kind of like a mockumentary almost, but our channel was shut down about a month after that. And there was no, I never had a single strike. Never had, never had anything wrong just woke up one day, channel's been removed. You go for the appeal. They say, no, you say, what's the reason? They say, we don't have to provide you one. So that was like my life's work. I had over 200, 150 videos published, beautiful vlogs. Like I, I know the pain of losing that, but today I try to stand here as someone who lost it all and, and started again. I haven't told my full origin story, but essentially I lost it all. You know, I, I tell, I try crafted my story like thoughtfully, but there's so much more to it that people actually don't know. And, and I will reveal those things when the time is right. It's not yet. Mm. Okay. So the final answer is we're fucked on censorship. I mean, as the time is being, it's, it's not good shape for the truth to come out. The absolute truth, of course, 90% of truths are getting out, but some of the critical ones around some of the big topics right now, like the very nature that videos can be removed is not pushing us to our best version. I mean, it's limiting how we even think. And I think that's a big mistake from the get. I think the internet is not designed to be censored, but you know, it, it, it is ultimately. And, and, and again, it comes back to like, what is ideal and what things should be if you keep waiting for that you're going to be in trouble. You've got to go forward and say, well, this was the landscape I was brought up in. Like my grandparents, they lost their house. They lost their thing because of a war related thing. I mean, we're all fighting. It's an info war now. 
like because of the internet, because of the exposure of certain people, the internet is the weapon. And so it's been weaponized against us in many different ways. Here you go. Go Google forum sliding. Go Google the word forum sliding. Go learn what it means that other people can control the narrative on any forum with some very basic psychological tactics. And I want people out there who the next time you're reading through a Reddit thread and the very first comment is like, really? It might be manufactured for you to think that that is the real belief of others because it's been voted all the way up to the top. So we're in this weird world where if we rely on Reddit, someone asks a, a completely hypothetical or arbitrary question in a forum. It just so happens the perfect answer was crafted. It's all the way at the top. And now you're like, oh, I have knowledge. I answered that question because I read that. I know what that person says. Their opinion made sense, but doesn't really mean it's what everyone really thinks. I'm like rolling through Reddit and I'm like, no, no, dumb, dumb. Like you're like people are speaking in fallacies. And so you know that it cannot be legitimate to some degree. And therefore you should give it no credit. You cannot give any credit to people who speak in fallacy. They don't understand the way to actually communicate the truth. What is real about the world. I think everyone should go take a little bit more philosophy and logic. That might've been one of the secret codes for me was to get a little bit more clearer on what logic really is. And I know I can be illogical, but that is still an understanding you want to have and navigate both the human side and the, the perfectness that is logic because not everything about humans is logical. And I think you need a balance of both, but I think most of us like don't understand what a premise or a false premise really, really is. They don't understand what like a straw man argument is. And do I know all the fallacies by heart? No, but I certainly didn't ignore the fact that, Hey, some people can be saying things to us on the internet. And if they phrase it right, it can seem really real, but there's a little, it's kind of a psychological trick happening there. Like, you know, the common one is like when you attack someone's character instead of their arguments, like you're not accessing mm -hmm. the truth, right? And so that's a common one. There's so yeah. many others. There's a huge list of uh, fallacies, which are basically you're arguing without sort of the backing of the truth. You know, you're trying to make a conclusion, but it cannot be sort of valid. It's not permanently there. Could you share anything about logic and philosophy? I would think you've had some access to that. Yeah, I mean, just just you know, having like uh, I'm I'm pretty philosophically minded, and th thanks for indulging me in this interview on that. We haven't gotten very technical, but as I get older, I become more and more of a pragmatist, like in the literal sense of like American pragmatism as a philosophy, because I don't see very many absolute truths. Like reality is really perception. And the most I would say about like the material realities we see, there's patterns and we can recognize patterns. Uh, that's how our brains work. So if we can be willing to see the the counters to to what we believe to be true and what we act on, like in a like uh like Rene Descartes, like question extreme skepticism, but still being able to act, because if, if you because you can you can negate any action worth taking. That's the that's like the purpose of intelligence to not do stupid things. Your brain stops you. So we definitely need a, a more sophisticated philosophy for the future of especially in the digital world, di digital entrepreneurship and governance. And that won't be absolute either. You know, it's I'm not I'm definitely not a moral relativist, but but nothing things aren't permanent. They're always updating. And uh, and I think that's one of your central central messages which i like yeah but one of my deepest truths is impermanence i think that that word is the first time i've heard anyone say that to me so far in my content journey and that's why i'm jumping at the chance to remind people that everything is impermanent and that is a, a framework that will help you act because you are impermanent your relationships are impermanent so treat them better your time is impermanent so take action your life might be impermanent. Your, your materials may be impermanent. Never get attached. I'm not attached mm -hmm. to anything. I could, I could be moved into like a shithole right now and I just keep going. I, I don't. It would not phase me one bit as long as I can access who I am. What would phase me is if I was forced to sort of be under some sort of psychological manipulation. I, I think that would be... You could put me on a beach 
But if I was being like unable to access my own self, I think that is the most scary idea. But I think we need to become so tough right now, so warrior-like, so soldier-like. I think that's critical right now, especially right now. I think that was important last year. Wow, is it ever important to be a warrior today and be like, that's just rubbing right off me. Like, I I get it, but not right now. Like, I'm focused on my mission. I'm focused on service. I focus on protection. You know, those are the high values of now. Working hard is about to become really, really cool. And uh, some people are going to struggle with that. So we'll see how that plays out. It's going to be an interesting six months coming up, not only from the psychological perspective of opening up and people's fear around that, but how do people act? Do people quit jobs that are not serving them? Do people take life more seriously? Do they finally travel after thinking, wow, maybe I'll never travel again? Like, I would like to see what happens. Yeah, no, me too. I like that you embrace that hero's mindset because you you said earlier, logic isn't the totality of, of everything. And, and yeah, we do kind of need to re- renew some of the mythological mindset that humans survived for 100,000 years with. You know, not until the enlightenment did we like on mass, you know, go to more of a rationalistic mindset, which the jury's still out how, how effective that is. Hasn't been very long. Excellent work. Thank you for interviewing and discovering more about me and uh, helping me broaden my audience. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. I definitely want to do it again. Let's do it. Awesome, man. Okay, guys. Thanks so much for joining in. Sana, CD, you were big players today. Uh, saw lots of chat going on, a bunch of other people jumped in, but it's not going to have a chance to get back to all those questions. So this is going to be the last IG interview for a bit. We were doing this as sort of a student exercise. We'll see what happens, though. I think people definitely like the IG lives, especially some of these conversations. And, you know, these are worthwhile conversations. So, you know, let's try and keep it going. We'll see what happens. Thanks so much for everyone's attention. Thank you guys for joining me this week. Lots of new followers. If you're new to my channel, thank you so much. We are here to become a better marketer, better online brand builder, ultimately better leaders as well. That's something that's really important to me, leadership. So it looks like we got some people who want to keep these going. So we'll probably will. All right, guys, have a great day. Strong weekend. Be well, stay tough. You got it. Hey, what's up, guys? Rich here. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. We are going to be sending it out to all the major platforms. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter at Rich and Niche. Go to our website, richandniche.com for our courses, my book, all sorts of powerful resources. And once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast.